It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. Hope you'll learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up later, second greatest amount we spend is on transportation. That's behind housing. I want you to know when you spend that money, what are the most reliable brands? What are the most reliable models? So when you buy one, you'll be buying something that will be with you, not in the shop, costing you money. So a couple of really positive things. One, a new report from the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, on cigarette smoking in the United States has found a massive decline in the percent of people smoking. And now it is roughly 13% of the adult population are smokers. And that is absolutely wonderful because you know what dovetails right with that? There was a second report that came out, ironically enough, the same week on the dramatic decline in the number of Americans getting lung cancer. Now, then there was some hope because lung cancer used to be considered to be like an automatic death sentence. But now more and more people, I don't want to give false hope here, but more and more people diagnosed with lung cancer are living five years or longer after diagnosis, which is a huge improvement in treatment, but be a whole lot better not to get it. And there are people who get lung cancer who never smoked a cigarette a day in their lives. My wife, my wife's late uncle, ironically enough, was an oncologist, never having had a cigarette in his life, and died of lung cancer. It's more a fluke than anything else. But lung cancer is one of those things that's directly related. If then you smoke, then you have this huge increased possibility of lung cancer. So 13% is great, 13 out of 100. I'm a former smoker. Um, I was very glad I quit. It was a long time ago. But I'm also really big, if you're a long-time listener, you know how much I'm into exercise. So I want to share something with you from the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And it found that if you run just one time a week, you don't have to be somebody who's up running every day, you run once a week, you reduce your risk of early death from any cause by 27%. That's a fantastic thing to think about, that it has such a positive effect. If you run just once a week, you have a 30% reduced risk of death from heart stuff. How's that for a medical technical term? And you have uh, roughly 25% lower risk of death from any type of cancer. And so that is tremendous. I want you to think about that, that lifestyle changes can make a big difference. And one of the things they talked about in the British Journal of Sports Medicine article 
is that running twice a week doesn't dramatically increase the benefit over once a week. Running three times a week doesn't increase it dramatically over twice a week. That the greatest benefit is 52 times a year without fail every week getting out and running will dramatically improve your health and your lifespan. So get out there. Al is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Al. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Great. Thank you, Al. So you got a car note on a vehicle that you'd like to get rid of. Tell me about that car note, if you could. Yes, well, this car is a 2016. It's a Toyota. I've always owned one, but the interest rate on it is 11.99. Whoa! So what I'm tr- yes, yeah, exactly. So what, I'm, what I'd like to do is get the payment down as quick as I can or lower my interest rate. And my question is, can I do that by paying the principal at least once a month for, say, the next four or five months? So prepay on principal will shorten the length of that loan significantly. And this loan at 12%, do you know what your credit score is by any chance? It's around 647, if I remember correctly, yes. All right. So are you a member of any credit union where you I am, yes. Did you secure this loan from a car dealer or was it from the credit union? It was from a car dealer. All right. Have you been to your credit union to see if they will take that loan out and refi you into a lower rate? You are are at a credit score that they'll have you on a sliding scale on interest rate, but they're likely to approve you for a refi at 647, and it just wouldn't be at the low rates they're offering to people with a higher score, but you should be able potentially to bring that 12% down several points with a credit union refi. Fantastic. Thank you for all your help. Oh, wait, 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 more to say, more to say, because if the credit union union turns you down, Uh then you would want to do what you say about prepaying on the loan. And how long ago did you take out the loan? I purchased this vehicle roughly three months ago. Okay, so there's something that a lot of car dealer-originated loans have in them that's a very anti-consumer thing called sum of digits financing. And it's a way of front-loading the interest. So even if you pay it off early, they still get that money. It's a very unsavory, dishonest practice. And so oh. you, you have an ultra-high priority to get into the credit union and see if you can take that loan out now while you've only made a few payments. And in either case, I want you to go through the loan documents and see if it has the wording either interest calculated by sum of digits or interest calculated by another rotten practice called rule of 78s. And either of those are methods of taking advantage of you on the interest rate on the loan where the actual effective interest rate for a loan paid off earlier is far higher than the stated rate of 11.99%. In any case in the future, that credit union is your best friend and that's where you want to get your car loans anytime you get a car in the future.
Rita is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Rita. Hi. How you doing? Great, thank you. Rita, you were in a car wreck, huh? Oh, yes, I was, about three years ago. Are, are um, you okay? Oh, yeah. We just switched drivers. We were driving up north to Kansas, and my daughter was driving, actually, and it just started to ice up so fast like it can. We hit a new bridge and just went into spin. It went into ambulances to the hospital, the local hospital up there, and was checked out, and they did a really good job. And everything came up negative. Well, thank goodness for, for that, right? So we were very lucky we did not end up in the Neosho River and everything, and it did very well. <laughs> but Say that river again. Neosho. I'm not familiar with that river. It's a little river in Kansas. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you didn't go swimming in it. Yeah, because it was pretty cold. Right. But... I thought everything was okay. Insurance was paying for everything, but one bill. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think that they quoted it incorrectly when they submitted it to the insurance company because they declined to pay. They said it's, it doesn't, uh, diagnosis does not match, well, it, it's not paid. And since so they, how's this it, come this up was, three years later? My husband checked my credit report. Oh, and there's a collection there was, from the from the doctor or right. hospital. There was t- two actually two things that were very disturbing on it. Okay. One was that there was a collection from. Uh, it was actually the the radiologist that read the report was denied payment. Okay. Because and I, like I said, I think their office coded it incorrectly. And at the time, I got a bill and I called the insurance company. And I felt like everything was covered and okay. But it didn't. But it and was, you said, what was the other one? No, there was two problems with my credit report. Oh, okay. And was the other problem also related to this accident? No. All right, let's talk about the medical. So okay. this happens all the time, where mm-hmm. someone will be billed by someone they don't even, you don't even know who the radiologist is that they reads were in stuff. A, totally different town yeah so uh and a lot of times they do that right over the internet and it could even be in a foreign country that radiology is read when a bill like this happens that i call a ufo bill the rules have changed and now if you can get the insurance company and the radiology practice together and get that bill paid through insurance then the Uh item is removed from your credit as if it was never there Oh, okay, okay. So, so how, that's how only with about? medical bills. Okay, uh-huh. So you need to contact the radiology practice itself, get them okay. together with your insurer, and it was the auto insurer that handled this, right? Yes, yes. Get that bill taken care of, bam, it's invisible now and will not affect okay. your credit in any way from that point forward. Okay. Now, what about the other item you said? Well, the other item was still very disturbing. Um, we locked down our credit, my credit and my husband's credit, under your suggestion, but we had to open it up in order to get high-speed Internet. And during that time, somebody stole my identity, oh. and they had actually got a $10,000 loan approved 
And fortunately, the loan company down in Florida called our home number, and when they told me the check was ready for me to pick up, I said, whoa, 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 I didn't ask for a loan. And the man was very nice, and he goes, I thought your credit score was too high. Oh, no. <laughs> so so why is that a negative mark on your credit? Well, we, we shut down that loan, but on my Equifax, there was two bogus addresses that I've never lived at. That's easy to correct with Equifax. Okay. So if Just you send the paperwork it, in? Yeah, so you send in the paperwork to them, say these are not my valid addresses, and see if you can get those addresses purged from your report. That will not by itself harm you because you have your credit frozen, but it is disturbing to know that a criminal was impersonating you and was using another address as your address, and then suddenly it's reported on your report as if it is your address. Thank goodness they made that call to you, and that didn't become a hassle. But the medical bill... That's the one you got to be all over. And the best news of all, you know what the best news of all is, Rita? What? Neither you nor your daughter suffered any meaningful injuries from that accident that could have been so tragic. Isaac is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Isaac. Hello. How you doing, Isaac? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Great. Thank you. So I've been using um, Eggcorn for a while for their micro-investing. Um, and then they launched retirement not too long ago, and I started one of those. But now they have a bank, and I'm not a fan of like a lot of bundles in general, so I don't really know what to think about it. When someone is comfortable with doing financial things on an app, I'd love for you to go the next step and do banking on an app or do your business with a strictly online bank. Because the thing about an online bank, and Acorns is not alone in this. There are so many online banks, and so many of the online banks you can do pretty much everything with an app, is by them eliminating the entire branch banking network, their overhead is so much lower that they can offer you much better deals on every phase of your banking, where a, a bank that has a lot of branches even if they have a nice app, they still have all that massive bank overhead that you're having to pay for. So going from a traditional bank and doing Acorns as your bank, particularly because you already have experience with them and you've been happy with how they've done things, otherwise you wouldn't be asking me this, right? Correct. I started using them in college because they like offered me free investing when I was still in the four-year university. That was the whole reason I signed up with them a few years ago. But they've done but, a good um, job for you, and you're getting job. more into it. You got the retirement account. So, yeah, if you want to do more with them, I think it's great to do it. And this is a major kind of threat to the traditional, lumbering, slow, bureaucratic banking business, the people that move quicker and really cut through the clutter and give you what you're looking for without all the gotchas. And so I hope that Acorns grows into this well, serves people well, and I hope that other financial-oriented apps will also launch banks as a way of taking market share from the banks that get up every day 
looking for ways to take more money from your pocket in fees and gotchas, there's a better way and alternative providers are what are going to lead us that way, just like credit unions are such a great alternative to traditional banks. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So one gift that's out there for you is the vehicle market is way overstocked. The car makers are having a rough time right now, and they've got sluggish sales, bloated inventories. So there are deals all over. But Is it really a deal if you buy a vehicle that breaks all the time? So I wanted to hit you with the list from Consumer Reports, deep dive of data, huge number of people that they survey in their annual auto reliability survey, and the brand that is the most reliable of all is one that's been at or near the top year after year after year, Lexus, followed by Mazda, Toyota, Porsche, the Genesis brand. If you're familiar with Genesis, it's the premium sub-brand of Hyundai. And Hyundai was actually in the next place as most reliable, followed by Subaru, Dodge, Kia, Mini, Nissan, and Honda. Mini in particular is interesting to me because Mini used to be considered to be a very unreliable brand, and now Consumer Reports has it at the other end as a very reliable brand. So that list is the one of the most reliable. There are specific models that are most reliable, and... I don't know that I should read. Well, let me, I can do these. Mazda MX-5, the Miata, Toyota Prius Prime, Toyota Prius, Lexus GX, Hyundai Kona, Mazda CX-3, Lexus NX, Toyota 4Runner, Mazda CX-9, Lexus GX, GS. So both the GX and the GS. So Lexus counts for 3 out of 10. Toyota accounts for 3 out of 10. Mazda accounts for 3 out of 10. And Hyundai has the last spot. So I think it's really important. You know, a lot of vehicles people buy for an emotional connection. And you may not have an emotional connection to any of these vehicles. But if you look at Consumer Reports reliability data and there's a particular brand or model you're interested in, Go see the reliability of that brand and model. And if it's really awful and stinky and terrible, then maybe you look at another vehicle you also have emotional connection to and see if it's more reliable. Valerie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Mr. Howard. How are you? Good, but Valerie, key rule, you got to call me Clark. Okay, I'm sorry. Hi, Clark. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Valerie, how can I serve you? Um, I am a single mother, and I recently just lost my job. 
Oh, I'm and so sorry. I'm confused about the life insurance thing because I need to have something set aside. I want to make sure that my daughter doesn't get stuck trying to take care of me by my by herself. So I I don't really understand term whole life what's good what's right. I, it's, it's very overwhelming to me. Okay, so for almost everybody what's known as level term insurance is the right choice. And all it does is it pays a a benefit to your daughter in the event of your untimely passing. Okay. So there's no savings account, there's no investment account. It just pays a death benefit. And that's the best thing for most of us because what you're usually looking for is that your survivor have money to live on in the event you're not here to do that anymore. How old is your daughter? She's actually 20. She goes to uh, UGA. All right. So she is, she's technically an adult, although adulthood yeah. tends not really to start now till yeah. somebody's in their mid-20s. But, yeah, right. But anyway, you could name her as the name beneficiary, or you okay. could do something that, depending on how large a policy you're buying where she could own a policy on your life, and that way you eliminate any potential tax issues. Oh. And so either way is fine. But, okay. But I'm more concerned sense. about what you said up front. How's the job search going? Uh, not very well. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I was in the same position for uh, 14 years. So I was a single mom since so she's in second grade. So okay. my whole focus was to make sure I could get her through school and off to college. And then I didn't, you know, I just didn't expect not to be working at this point. Well, so, well, let me tell you the good news. Okay. And I know you're shell-shocked having worked at a place. Think about it. You stayed working at the same place through the extreme deep recession we went through the Great Recession, as it was called, through the periods, years of huge layoffs, huge unemployment, and in a terrible situation for you, the overall job picture is the best we've seen in a generation. So once you get over that shock, get out there because the job possibilities are the best we've seen in such a long time. Okay. So don't be discouraged on that part of it, okay? Okay. Let me go back to what you were asking about with the term life. So when you shop for it, you shop for it with an idea of covering the key years of your working lifetime. And I always hate to ask a lady this, Valerie. How old are you? I'm 52. It's fine. All right. So at 52, you would likely want to look at uh, maybe a 15-year level term insurance policy okay because that would cover you for the core of the remaining years of your most important work years okay you could stretch as far as 20 but the premiums go up appreciably as you have a policy that would cover into your early 70s okay so a 15 year level term or a 20 year would be where you'd want to look and all that means is that the premium stays the same over the 15 or 20 years that you own the policy. 
Okay. Which would provide the replacement of income you're looking for for your daughter. And by the time that policy would end, she would be uh, virtually in almost to middle age herself. Right. And so that would give you that peace of mind. Okay. But I would say that follows you being out there focusing all your energy on getting the new job. Okay. Oh, you're saying don't. I guess in my head, I'm like, okay. And and, and normally, I guess it happens when you start experiencing death. So it's like three unexpected deaths in a row. Oh, I'm sorry. So my mind just immediately turn to that sure being the road that i'm a single mom and i'm like oh my gosh she has nobody right right i would say i would say that you put that on your list to do right after you get your new job and then you know kind of what kind of income you're generating to support yourself and to provide help to her and as a general back of the envelope thing i would buy 10 times your annual income as the amount of life insurance that you would buy it would provide financial security to your daughter in the event of your passing. And I'm sorry about you losing three friends in a short cycle. David is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. Hey, how are you, sir? Great. Thank you, David. I understand you are buying a franchise business. I am, yes. What kind of field is it going to be in? Fitness. Interesting. And what kind of cost do you have for the franchise fee itself, and then for all the startup costs? So um, after speaking with uh, one of the advisors, the, the fee itself is about 20000 and um, the recommendations for cost of living in our area, rent, stuff like that, would be about 85000 for the first year. And how much of this hundred grand do you have that you can generate from money you've saved, money you have? So for us, it's going to be almost entirely financing. We have a little bit of student loan stuff that we've been paying off. So the money for that will not come necessarily from, you know, personal monies. All right. Well, let me lay some things out to you. You know that anytime somebody buys a franchise, the number one source of funds for it is from family members, secondarily friends. Mm Mm-hmm. What's that well look like for you, those two wells? So we have a uh, potential investor from a business partner that I'll be going in with, so he'll be helping me with a little bit of the money. Um, We're still fairly early in the discussion process, so as far as total investment amount, we haven't come up with anything yet. Okay, because when when you're doing a startup, banks just really have no interest in you at all. There are Mm -hmm. now, there's a really wide network of lenders that are non-bank lenders that will lend to small businesses. That's the good news. The bad news is the interest rates charged tend to be extremely high, like even in the range of 40 to 50% interest. Mm -hmm. And so if you borrow money at a very high double-digit rate, it means you're chasing your tail all the time just trying to service the debt and not able to really work on growing your business. So, Absolutely. So you really need to think about where the money is going to come from. Even if you had to give up some percent of ownership, mm-hmm. getting money from family and friends and acquaintances is really where your efforts should be concentrated rather than the idea of borrowing. And... 
there's always been a disclosure problem with small business loans because small business lenders are not required to give you the Truth in Lending Act disclosures that you're required to give somebody for an individual loan to a person. So that's why you've got to see actual disclosure documents and not sign loan documents based on what somebody tells you. You've got to actually read through them in a detail that is mind-numbing. When you are borrowing money for a startup business, know that there are going to be a lot of snakes in the grass and you are going to be best served asking the uncomfortable questions of family and friends and others to back you even if you're borrowing from them and you're paying interest to them rather than attempting to borrow from these small business lenders because at startup, it's not going to be pretty borrowing from them. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Annie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Annie. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Thank you, Annie. So you are looking for somebody to be your guru with your money. Exactly. A personal advisor. How do we pick one and where do we pick it from? That is a great question and one that got easier for a while and has now gotten more difficult again. Because there was a rule marching forward called the fiduciary rule, which is now dead. And the fiduciary rule meant that and somebody you hired had to be working in your best interests. So now it's open hunting season on you and me again with most of the people in financial services that are allowed under the law to tell you whatever they want, even if it's just stuff that makes them money, no matter what harm it brings to you. So it raises the stakes for you to hire somebody who's really there for you. Can I learn a little bit more from you, Annie, about your situation? What are you hoping Um, to accomplish with a financial advisor? Somebody that will tell me where to put my money, what will earn the best, you know, interest, or what will make me the most money whether it be real estate, annuities, mutual funds, you know, there's so many options. So you want somebody that's going to advise you that's not only, like you said, for their game. You know, if you go to a bank, the bank will tell you put the money with them because they make money off your money. So how do you know who to trust and who do you go with? So are you looking for someone who you're married to for a long time who would be your shepherd 
with helping your money grow over the years? Or are you looking for somebody just to take your temperature and do a checkup and send you on yeah, your way? Long term, long term, as life situation changes, as financial situations change, you know, they're keeping an eye on the market. They know what's going on. Okay, I got it for you. you. I know exactly what to recommend. Okay, go. (laughs) I want you to go to the website of NAPFA, which is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Okay. NAPFA members have to put you first. Okay. And so what will happen is if you go to NAPFA.org, you'll put in your zip code... And they'll tell you people that are near you. Okay. And that's only the first step. Because even if somebody's putting your interests first, Annie, they may not be somebody you click with. Right. Or they may not really be listening to you or hearing what you're really trying to accomplish or asking the kind of questions you would hope that a professional would ask you. So what I'd like for you to do is... Get a list of people in your area from NAPFA, and then you call them up and you interview them. And I'd like you to, I know this is going to be a little time consuming, but I'd like you to have a phone call with five of them. Okay. And after you talk to the five people, you'll know who you want to zero in on and maybe do face-to-face interviews with a couple of them. Okay, so... I interview them, grill them. That's right, because <laughs> who's, who's the customer? You're me. the customer, right, Annie? <laughs> Absolutely. And can I just tell you a side note? Sure. <laughs> My father loves you, and if he hears this on the air, he's probably blushing because I said it. <laughs> What's your dad's name? You. Daniel. He thinks you are the greatest thing since peanut butter jelly. <laughs> well, you can tell him he's really mistaken, but Daniel, I'm so glad that you are a devoted listener. Okay, well, I will make those calls, and I will start my interview process, and hopefully I'll end up with a great financial advisor. I'm I'm sure you will doing that process. Best to you. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.